Okay, is that better? All right. Can I say how happy I am to be home? How's that? Um, it is... Thank you. Thank you. It's always lovely to be back in Amarillo, and I'm so grateful to Howard for the invitation uh, to come. Thank you so much. And um, to be with, uh, with you again and share these moments. Vicky sends you her greeting and love. Uh, Kelly just had an appendectomy a couple of days ago, and she is at home looking after uh, our first daughter. Um, Katie is in uh, Versailles, uh, France, and is expecting uh, her third uh, daughter and our third granddaughter. Um, that's uh, it's kind of interesting. My attitude towards the French, God has uh, blessed me with three French granddaughters. Um, when Katie came home initially and said, Dad, I'm going to marry a Frenchman, I said, you know, I'm sure there are worse things in the world than marrying a Frenchman, but for the life of me, I can't think of any. <laughs> Kimberly is, uh, is working steadily in Berlin, Germany. Um, when I said to Vicky, what is it about our girls that they like these European men? And she looked at me disbelievingly and she said, duh. <laughs> anyway, we send you all our family greeting. It's, uh, it's great to be back. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It is able to make us wise unto salvation. We thank you for your grace extended to us. For these moments together in worship with people that we love, people that we know, sharing our experiences together and coming to hear what it is you have to say to us. So speak to us in the stillness of our hearts that we might know that it is you who is speaking and that we might leave this place knowing it was good that we had been here because here we had met with the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn to the prophecy of Habakkuk. Uh, you might pronounce it Habakkuk, uh, but whatever you call it, um, it's tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament near the back, uh, just before the book of Zephaniah, if that's any help to you which it probably isn't, but uh, there you have it. And I want particularly to uh, refer to the, the verses that are in the front of your bulletin, but rather than read them, I'm going to go ahead and uh, just look at the, the book in its entirety with you and uh, focusing on those verses as we do. Um, I often refer to Habakkuk as a little prophet, and you'll forgive me, he probably isn't terribly little, but it's a little book with a big message. And if ever there was a book that was relevant to our day and generation, I've got to tell you, I really believe this book speaks to our condition in the United States at this point in time. But it's more than a message to a nation. It is a message to each of us individually word of hope and encouragement because it is a message 
from fear uh, to faith. I think I'm in the wrong slide. So let me just take a moment, if I may, to fix this. How's that? So the entire book is going to take us on a journey today in the time that we have available from, from fear to faith. I want to explain to you, if I may, the situation that Habakkuk, in which Habakkuk found himself. It was a time of national upheaval. Sounds familiar? It is a time when the nation was greatly divided. When the nation had left its spiritual foundation. A time when Israel was becoming more and more spiritually bankrupt. It was a, in a sense, a post-religious era, if you will, in the nation. And Israel had become a secular state. No longer interested in the things of God. Corruption and atheism were part and parcel of the national scene. The northern kingdom had succumbed to the ravages of an invading army. And so here was Habakkuk in a situation, a a man living in turbulent times. I think we can identify with that in our day and generation as well. And of course, where does one turn when one is faced with the dilemmas of life? Habakkuk turned to God. Asking the foundational question, where is God when you need him? Where is God in all of this? Where in the morass and mediocrity of the human dilemma does one find God? That searching question, which I'm sure we all have taken upon our lips from time to time when we face difficulties and perplexities. God, where are you? The interesting thing is that there are times in all of our lives, not only nationally but individually, when, if I might put it in terms, in Habakkuk's terms, when the fig tree doesn't blossom. And so here is a man seeking to be God-centered in a in a world that is anything but God-centered, and he's crying out to God, God, why don't you do something? This people who have turned away from you, who have lost, have lost their way, need divine judgment. And God responds, he announces his judgment into this broken world in which Habakkuk would find himself. Long ago, as far away as 600 BC and relevant still to the 21st century in which we find ourselves today. Times when the fig tree doesn't blossom. And in the midst of that morass of the human dilemma, God speaks home to his prophet. He says, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your concern. And I will bring judgment upon my people. And if you will look at chapter 1, verse 5, you will find precisely these words from Almighty God to his prophet. Look among the nations, he cries. 
and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you what it was. Now here is the, the increasing dilemma for Habakkuk. He was concerned about the, the state of affairs in his nation. And turning to God and calling that God intervene in some way. He wasn't expecting the way that God would want to intervene. Because God said to Habakkuk, okay, I'm going to bring judgment upon the people. I'm going to bring the ancient Babylonians to invade the land. And Habakkuk's reaction was, well, Lord, I know I asked for judgment, but certainly not that kind of judgment. That's not what I had in mind. Surely you would not punish your people with an even more pagan people of the Babylonians. Surely that isn't a fair thing to do. God, how could you possibly do such a thing? And Habakkuk now faces a a crisis of faith. How to live the life of faith when life doesn't make sense? How do I live by faith in confused times? Interestingly, the Apostle Paul takes up this particular verse from this little prophet and develops in his epistle to the Romans the great Christian doctrine of what we call justification by faith. And in that treatise as he writes to Rome and tries to explain what it really means to live by faith, to be justified by faith, to be saved by faith, to become reconciled to God, to to enjoy the, the benefits of eternal life with Jesus Christ. He says, now let me give you an example of what that means. I always like it when a preacher gives you an example. He says, let me give you the example of of Abraham. Because your faith must reflect the faith of Abraham if, if it is justifying faith. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he would become the father of of all nations. Now you remember that Abraham was a hundred years old. His wife was a hundred years old. And he looked at his own body and he looked at his wife and he said, there's no way we're going to have a baby. But yet in hope he believed against hope. Paul goes on to say, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Isn't that lovely? But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's what it means to live by faith. Habakkuk, I understand that life is difficult for you. I understand that you're living in an increasingly pagan world. But you need to live by faith. Because it's only the person who lives by faith that will make it through the human dilemma, the human predicament. And so here is a little prophet. I love this book. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And yet, you know, 
I thought to myself, I've never preached a sermon on this favorite book. Because my wife told me, you're going back to Amarillo, why don't you just preach an old sermon? They won't remember. (laughs) Well, this is one I've never preached before. But I'm so astounded and overwhelmed by by this little prophet as he refuses to give up what he believes, how he reminds himself of what he's sure of, how he embraces the simplicity of the faith that he once had. He wants to believe even when life doesn't make sense. Can you empathize with that? When life doesn't make sense, can you hold on to Jesus Christ? Can you believe against all disbelief? What when our pain is unbearable? Amy Carmichael, the little Irish missionary to India, went through dark periods in her life and in her book Figures of the True she she writes about a young woman facing the darkness it may very well represent her own experience as she writes she found herself standing alone looking into a great mist fold after fold the hills lay there before her but always in the mist She could see no path except a little track in the valley below. She thought that she was quite alone. And for a while she stood looking, listening, feeling this loneliness and uncertainty harder to bear than any acute distress had ever been. Not difficult to empathize with that. Then softly voices began to speak within her, writes Amy Carmichael. My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Moments in life when the pain becomes intolerable, unbearable, and we take our plaintive cry to God, and the fig tree is not blossoming in our lives And somehow God does not appear to answer the way we want him to answer. He doesn't resolve the issue the way we long for the issue to be resolved. Those dark moments of life. How shall we handle them when they come as come they will? When I was a a youngster in high school, I had to study the life of Cardinal John Henry Newman. He was a Roman Catholic Cardinal in England. He wrote some of the great hymns of the church like praise to the holiest in the height and in the depths be praised. But there was another hymn that he wrote, lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom that seemed to portray some of the dark moments of his own life and articulates in many ways the darkness that we go through from time to time. I want you to listen to these words as they, as they appear on the screen. John Henry Newman. 
the way is dark and I am far from home. That really summarizes the first chapter of this, this little book of Habakkuk. But the loveliness of our text is found in chapter 2, the very first verse, and I refer you to it. I will take my stand to watch. I will station myself on the tower. I will look forth to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Something happens, you see, between chapter 1, the despair of chapter 1, the questioning of chapter 1, and the praise of the end of the book. Where Habakkuk says, in the midst of all the problems, I will praise the Lord. And so I want to ask the question, what happened? What happened to cause fear to be turned to faith? What happened that turned distress into praise? And the clue is here, the opening part of chapter 2. He goes to the watchtower and he waits. And so I ask myself, what happened at the watchtower that transformed this person from fear to faith? Now normally a watchtower is a place where a person goes, a soldier stands to warn the people of an advancing army. And that could not have been the case for Habakkuk. He knew the army was coming. He knew the Babylonians were coming. God had already announced that he was bringing the Babylonians. So why did he go to the watchtower? I believe he went to the watchtower for a profound moment to take his will and to realign it to the will of God. Often in our lives you will confess with me, I'm sure, because I do it. Most of us do from time to time. We try to align God's will to our will. We do it in in, in our mission and the word is out. And every now and again, God catches me out. And he says, I have a better way. And I need to go to the watchtower repeatedly and, and align my will to the will of God rather than attempting to align God's will to my will. Habakkuk, I believe, did that. And finally, he understood that no matter what happened, He needed to hope in God. God will have the final word. And so in chapter 2, in verse 14, he announces in that chapter that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Sin will be dealt a final blow. The promises of God will be realized. It's a word of hope, you see. What God is saying to his prophet is, if you will align your will to my will, then you will come to understand that the answer to your query, the answer to the dilemma will come. It may not come in your schedule. It will come in a different schedule. It may not happen at once, but it, will, it, it is certain to happen. You can depend upon it as you can depend upon me. Because this is God's world at the last, you see. 
It really doesn't matter what is happening in society. It really doesn't matter what is happening in the United States of America. God is on the throne in the United States of America. It doesn't matter who the president may be or may not be. This is God's world. It isn't Satan's world. It belongs to Jesus. And he will have his way in his own time. That's what... That's what God is telling his little prophet. Sorrow may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. And that's what it means, Habakkuk. That's what it means for us today to live by faith. It means to keep on believing when believing is unpopular. It means clinging to Christ in the darkest moments of our existence. And the wonderful thing here is that Habakkuk does not insult us with easy answers. We want easy answers. They're not to be found here. He doesn't insult us with platitudes. Instead, he tells us, encourages us to climb to the watchtower and to wait, to realign our will to the will of God. He encourages us to sing the song of redemption in the midst of the world's discordant music when the fig tree doesn't blossom. Write the vision, he tells his prophet. Make it plain upon tablets that he may run who reads it. It is a call to action. It is a call to mission. Write the vision. Make it clear. Spread it abroad. This vision of judgment, this this vision of a sovereign God who is in control of all things, who wills to save. Carry the message to the far corners of the earth. Howard was right earlier when he said, we began a Bible study here many years ago. Many of you were involved in that study. We met every Wednesday night. Sanctuary was, was filled with a desire to know God's Word. Little did we ever dream that that would take feet and go across the world. Today we celebrate our very first Center for Biblical Understanding in Lusaka, Zambia. Getting ready to establish a second Center for Biblical Understanding in East Africa. Tell the word, write the vision. Tell it abroad. The message of free grace and dying love, there is nothing more worth preaching. I love Habakkuk because he reminds us of why we exist in the first place as a people of God. He reminds us to whom we belong. And he tells us especially to remember when the night gets dark and we feel adrift on a notion of uncertainty. Amy Carmichael faced those nights. But I want to share with you something else that she wrote. Because not only was she saying, why are you cast down my soul, but... Listen to these words. Give me the love that leads the way. 
the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. That was the experience of Habakkuk. My beloved, in the times of our lives when we're tempted to give up, we're tempted to throw in the towel, these words of the little prophet come to us athwart the centuries, reminding us that we can trust him, reminding us that he is altogether trustworthy. And so when we get to chapter 3, Habakkuk reminds himself of the God who created the world in verses 3 through 10, and, and the God who effected the greatest conquest in, in verses 11 through 15 and, and then goes on to argue in these last verses as the book comes to a close. He tells us even when the fig tree does not blossom, even when there is no fruit on the vines, when the olives, when the produce of the olive fail, when the field yields no food, when the flock is cut up from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. In other words, he's saying, no matter what happens, I will rejoice in the Lord, no matter what. No matter what. Even when the fig tree doesn't blossom. Now, I may not stop questioning. I may not stop asking why God, but I will not stop rejoicing either. No matter what, if I'm terminally ill, I will keep trusting. If my financial security goes away, I will keep loving. If I lose a loved one, I will keep holding fast to Jesus Christ. If I am overwhelmed by evil, if fragile life disintegrates, if everything goes wrong, if the fig tree doesn't blossom, I will still trust. Yea, he says in verse 19, Yahweh Adonai is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet and enables me to go to high places. In other words, Habakkuk is saying that I'm going to be like the little deer in the midst of disaster. The little deer seems somehow to find life and hope. Will you trust him then this morning no matter what? No matter what? Will you love him? No matter what, will you keep trusting? That's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for you. Through the darkest moments of our lives, when we feel far from home, no quick answers, go to the watchtower. Align our wills to the will of God. And so in these last moments, as you listen to this song, will you make this your prayer that I will continue to love and I will continue to trust. And may God bless you in your trusting.